Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church Podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. We are starting our new series, which is the Book of Galatians. But before we get that, I don't want to rush away too much from the naked truth in our sexuality series. Maybe some of you are relieved it's over. But um, I really want to encourage you, go back, listen to all the podcasts, to every sermon that was preached. Remember the value of living holy, of purity in our lives, of what the Lord has taught you, convicted you, motivated and inspired you of during that course. Um, Because... We don't want to just forget it and then go back to old ways, right? We want to move on and be improved and and live righteous and holy before the Lord. And so Galatians is actually going to help us to do that. Because the book of of, of Galatians is all about the gospel, about salvation, about what it means to be a Christian. And so the sermon is entitled, What is at Stake? The True Gospel. And we're going to start right with the Word of God. Galatians 1 verse 1 and 2 says, Paul, an apostle, not from men, not through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. And so Paul is the author of this letter, the whole book of Galatians. He has written it. And it is addressed to all the churches, every congregation in Galatia. And Paul starts, he doesn't mince words, he gets right to the business of why he's writing, okay? And he asserts that he is Paul, and that he has been called and given authority to be an apostle by Jesus Christ and God the Father, and not by man. So if you read um, Acts chapter 13 and 14, you discover the story of how Paul came to Galatia, how he started preaching the gospel to a predominantly Gentile community and how they responded in great faith and received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And that's where the churches came. This was entirely by the Holy Spirit doing a miracle in the hearts of pagan Gentile men and women that they actually received Jesus Christ. And God used Paul to do that. And he stays with them, and he disciples them, and he teaches them how to be Christians, what it means. He gets them on the path of salvation, and they're on their way. And then he goes off on more missionary journeys somewhere else. Well, within a very short time, (laughs) the Galatian churches start getting infiltrated by Jewish Christians, Jews who became Christians. And they start spreading some malicious rumors In fact, they start straight up preaching a false gospel. And the story they tell the Galatian Christians is, hold on, hold on, hold on. What gives Paul this authority? Don't you know he wasn't even one of the original 12 disciples? Don't you know he didn't sit at the Last Supper like the other 12 apostles? But they're forgetting something really important. When they say this, But the Galatians believe them because it sounds convincing, right? And as they start believing the Galatians, these these false teachers start leading them 
astray. They start teaching them that to be properly Christian, you actually have to first convert to Judaism. Something Paul fought so hard for that that is absolute nonsense, that throughout the Old Testament, the Messiah was for the whole world. And the world didn't have to become Jewish to receive him. And so what are they telling them? They're saying to them, you have to be circumcised. You have to eat kosher. You need to follow every single last rule we've made up, dragged out, drawn out from the Old Testament, and then you can truly please God. And so what they do is, they don't deny Jesus, but they start creating a Jesus plus gospel. Jesus isn't enough. Can you see the massive, massive problem that is about to erupt? And so the Galatians are moving from the true gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, into a gospel that has all kinds of man-made nonsense attached to it, rules and laws and impressing people and, and trying to perform and make effort for God that is not required. And so Paul's leadership and influence is in question here. And that's how these false teachers start getting a foothold in the Galatians' mind. But if you remember, just like all the other 12 disciples, Paul had an encounter with Jesus Christ, an incredibly real encounter. In fact, later on in, in Galatians 1, in verse 11 and 12, he, he says this, Okay, it will just keep going from the back. He says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not a man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And if you remember your Sunday school uh, stories, in Acts 9, Paul is still called Saul. And he is going around persecuting Christians. He's traveling around rooting out this cult, this ungodly, how dare they even exist bunch of weirdos. <laughs> and he's making them, he's getting them killed for believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And in Act 9, we read, it's called his Damascus Road experience. He's on his way to Damascus because he heard of the Christians there. And he's going to go sort them out. And on the road... A bright light hits him, and he falls off his horse, and a voice says to him, Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, I don't know who you are. And he says, I am Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You remember that story? And what happens? Paul is struck blind. And Jesus directs him to go and wait at a house because he's going to send Ananias the prophet. Just the miracles of this moment. And then the Lord speaks to Ananias and he says, go to that house on that street of that person. You will see Saul of Tarsus. And when you see him, tell him that I say he is to be a tool in my hand and I will send him with the gospel to the Gentiles. Can you see that Paul is as much an apostle as any one of those other 12 men? Literally called and set apart by Jesus Christ himself to be an apostle. And the Galatians would have known that story. But somehow, somehow they are led astray 
and they no longer heed to what that actually means. And so the very first thing Paul tells them is that Jesus gave himself for our sins. Galatians 1, 3 to 5 says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And this is so beautiful. Paul blesses the Galatians and he blesses you and I tonight with this prayer, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. And this is not by mistake. This isn't him just making a greeting. He's revealing the purpose for which Jesus came to die, that we might have grace and peace. Can we get one thing right in our heads? The point of Christianity isn't just eternal life. Praise God for that. We go on forever. But the real point of Christianity on this earth is that we experience the full abundance of what Jesus did on that cross. And this is what is at stake here in the book of Galatians. Because if we come under false religion, if we come under law and bondage, we lose our freedom. Jesus wants you to have grace and peace. He wants you to have joy and life and hope. He wants you to have an overabundance of love in your life. There is suffering in this world. We don't have to make more. There is suffering in this world, but there is Jesus in this world. And so grace is the unmerited favor of God. Grace is the divine influence of God on our hearts and our souls that filters through our life. Grace is a free gift. It is not a reward. It is not a payment. It is nothing we can engender in ourselves. It can only come to us when we trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Now, peace is beautiful because peace comes when we are set at one with something. And the Bible tells us that we were enemies of God. Can you believe that? Before we came to Jesus Christ, we were enemies of God. He wasn't our enemy, but we were his enemy. And when, when we encounter Jesus, when we choose to make him Lord and Savior of our life, we are set at one with God. There's no problem anymore. There's no anxiety. There's no issue between us. That is what peace is. It is the rest and quietness of God proving that we no longer need to strive in our human effort and performance to attain God's love. We are set at one with him through Jesus Christ. What that says to me is when I'm lacking peace, I'm not set at one with him. And guess what? He didn't move. He doesn't have the problem. 
He's not upset. He's not angry. He's not irritated. I am. And it's my choice whether I'm going to live in peace with him or not. Because Jesus did it. It's done. That means I can very quickly come back to peace. But will I? Because that's my choice. And if some of you are sitting here tonight, I wish I had that peace. Well, you can. It's yours. You already have it. You've got to just make sure you don't have a problem with him. You've got to sort that out with him. Because he's, he thinks you're amazing. He thinks you're incredible. And as I said, peace is the rest and quietness of God, proving that we no longer need to strive in human effort and performance to attain God's love. And Isaiah prophesies thousands of years before the book of Galatians, and he says this, For thus said the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. That sounds like peace, right? In returning, repenting. If you're struggling with peace, you just need to repent. I'm telling you right now, I don't know what you need to repent of, but you need to repent. <laughs> it's as simple as that. Repentance is returning to God. Repentance is disagreeing with myself and what I think is right and agreeing with what God says is right. That's as simple as repentance is. We want to make it a whole weird thing. That's it. In returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and trust, that will be your strength. And so we need grace, that unmerited favor of God, and we need peace. And it's our choice whether we're going to live in them or not, because Jesus has died for our sins. That means it is ours, and will we claim it? And so this is why Paul is so intentional in emphasizing the death of Jesus Christ right in the beginning of this letter. Because Christ's death has brought a new covenant in which believers do not have to observe or follow Jewish laws or old covenant ceremonies of the Mosaic law. Jesus fulfilled all of that. It's done. In the new covenant, Christians are to live in the power and guidance of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. We have Him. He's available to us. He lives inside of us. Pastor Simon was helping me with the sermon, and he said this, to require circumcision is to deny the cross and the dawning of the new creation. And that's what was happening to the Galatians. They were giving the freedom, the glory, the wonder, the grace and peace of God away so they could go back into bondage. That is awful. Salvation and justification for both the Jew and the Gentile only comes through Jesus. Jesus is it. There are Jews who are atheists. They don't actually even believe in God. My doctor is one of them. He found out I was a pastor. We have the most fascinating chats. And then he was just telling me the, the incense in the tabernacle was hallucinogenic. <laughs> what is he saying? God doesn't exist. There was no supernatural stuff. They just got high and felt like they had an experience with God, right? Good Jewish man following everything he needs to do. Do you see there's, there's no Jesus? His culture is rich and awesome. It's our culture, actually. 
It's our heritage. But there's no faith in Jesus there. There's not even faith in God there. And so justification comes alone through Jesus Christ. doesn't matter who you are, where you came. You have to encounter Jesus and decide that he is Lord and Savior. And I wrote here, not eating bacon does not make you holy. Remember a couple of weeks ago, I told you that being straight doesn't make you holy. Well, not eating bacon also doesn't make you holy. Why am I saying that? Because I might just be a baconarian, right? Like, Tiam and Natasha are, are vegans for health reasons, and they're amazing, and they, we tease them relentlessly. But if I ever did become a vegan, I would be a vegan and a baconarian. <laughs> Possibly a cheesarian as well. I don't think those, those are the two things I could not possibly give up. <laughs> um, now, literally, and I, I might be exaggerating a little bit, but you go and test. Every single epistle that Paul writes has a section where he tells you you can eat whatever you want to eat. We are not bound <laughs> by the restriction. That's why lasagna exists. If we all lived by the Mosaic law, we would not be able to put cheese sauce on meat. Again, what is the point of living? Um, uh, <laughs> so this is why we have lasagna, because Paul said we don't have to follow the Mosaic laws. So I, I, it feels to me like when I read the New Testament, it feels like a third of the New Testament is basically telling Christians, you can eat whatever you want to eat, right? But I'm, at one point I was mentoring a young man, discipling a young man. I don't have enough hands. <laughs> um, it was difficult going because he really loved the Holy Spirit. Like he was just like this with the Holy Spirit, moving in the things of the Spirit, supernatural, mystical, all over the place, amazing. But what, that, what he then started thinking was he didn't need to read the Bible because he didn't like reading and it was hard and he didn't get it, but he just wanted to be in worship and with the Holy Spirit all the time. And while he was here in community, he was constrained a little bit <laughs> Because, you know, we are not nuts. <laughs> we believe in all of that stuff, but we have boundaries, right? So, and it was good and was healthy. And then he had to get a job, and it, the job took him way overseas. And he found himself in a small town with no real Christian churches at all. And so I would sort of encourage him and disciple him. And I kept, how is the Bible reading? And he kept saying, no, 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 no. Any case, after a while, I, I realized I hadn't heard from him. So I prayed for him, I checked in, and he said to me, oh, it's really great, I finally met another Christian in this town. I said, oh, that's great. He said, yes, we meet twice a week, and he's teaching me, and I'm like, oh, great. And the next thing he says, yes, did you know we shouldn't eat bacon? I mean, forget the religious stuff. My heart is like, what? <laughs> I would never be friends with that person. <laughs> Um, but there was some problems on the religious stuff, right? So I started asking him questions. So he says, no, no, he's shown me, and the Holy Spirit's confirmed it. And this is where you go, okay, people, okay, can we all just calm down for one minute? Uh, that this is wrong. So I said to him, you do know that like a third of the New Testament is basically Paul telling us we can eat bacon, right? I mean, no, no, this is, so I said, okay, but you need to read the Bible. Can I send you some scriptures? So then I, you know, good pastor, I do the work. I send the scriptures because he doesn't bother reading them because he's right and his new friend is, you know, teaching him the right thing. 
Any case, I don't hear from him. Out of the blue, about three months later, I get this panicked voice note from like the middle of the night for him. I don't know what's happening. There's like demonic things in my room and there's a black smoke going across the ceiling. And I'm like, oh dear. So I'm like, <laughs> like I know what's going on, right? And this is how good God is. So I say to him, well, what do you think it is? I know what the answer, you know what the answer is, right? So he's like, no, I think, I think I've been led astray. I was like, yes. You've been led astray because you didn't bother reading the Bible. So now, and then guess what? He started reading the scriptures I sent him. And he repented, and he came out of it, and he felt like there was deliverance, and it was grace. But that's how easily we can get distracted. That's how easily we can have weird moments of people putting us under bondage. And God loved him so much, that black smoke came. I believe he saw it. <laughs> because he needed to repent. And so, not eating bacon does not make you holy. <laughs> and then Paul really hammers this point, and pretty much the rest of the book of Galatians is going to keep coming back to this point. There is no other gospel. Galatians 1, 6 to 9 says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. These are strong words, right? Very strong words. Because what is at stake? The gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul is astonished. He is greatly surprised. In fact, he is shocked. And he is very troubled because he cannot even begin to fathom or understand what is happening with these Galatians. How have they swapped the true gospel, the only gospel, for a false one? He states clearly there is no other gospel. The gospel isn't a debate we have amongst ourselves about how we feel or what we think or how we interpret scripture. It just isn't. But these false teachers have convinced the Galatians of a false gospel which requires them to be circumcised, to eat kosher, and to follow Old Testament laws. And Paul later on, he, he explains to them that these false teachers, these pseudo-Christians, just want to win converts to their own prestige. They're not interested in the truth. They want a following. Like every cult you've ever heard or seen. Now, if you spend time around me, I am a little obsessed by cults, right? If there's been a cult show on Netflix, I've watched it twice, okay? Because I'm fascinated by this. How? Do we take truth and then make up absolute nonsense? What's going on, right? I'm a counselor, I'm a pastor, I'm interested in how people feel and think. 
But this is the issue of every cult. It's your own prestige. It's your own, you winning people to yourself. Paul says that they want to win approval with the Jewish authorities by showing that they are converting Gentiles to a form of Judaism. These people want the best of both worlds. They want to have influence in the church and influence in the synagogue. <laughs> they can't choose. They can't decide. And they're more interested in what men think and what people think than what God thinks. And we've got to be careful. Are we coming to church trying to impress people? Are we coming to church to pretend? Or are we coming to church so the Holy Spirit can convict our hearts so that we can live and learn the truth so that we can return to rest and quietness? Because it's up to us. You know, God is not fooled. This, to me, it's becoming more and more of a comforting thing. God is not shocked by you. God is not shocked by me. He knows everything. Stuff you won't even tell yourself, he knows. And he's, lightning does not come out the sky and strike you dead. You don't burst out in boils. <laughs> but we've got to start getting honest with ourselves. We've got to start getting honest with ourselves so we can get honest with God. So why? We can return to rest. So we can come back to quietness. So we might want to judge the Galatians. I know some of us are going, honestly, they should have just been better. <laughs> well, Paul kind of says exactly the same thing. In, in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Now, He's not saying they were actually bewitched. This isn't a demon problem. This is a mind of man problem. But they're acting like they're bewitched. Paul knows very well they're not. They've just made agreement with man's wisdom. Or rather foolishness. Now you have to understand something. In the Bible, foolishness is a bad, bad thing. We sort of just think it's silly. That's not what foolishness is. Foolishness it leads you to hell. <laughs> That's the biblical understanding of foolishness. Jesus said, do not call your brother a fool because you're literally cursing him to hell. So this is very serious. In fact, in verse 3 of chapter 3, he says again, are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the, faith, by the flesh? You who trusted in Jesus, who experienced full freedom. Now you're making yourselves slaves and bondage to laws and rules that have no meaning or power for anything in God. Foolish. You can go look in the book of Proverbs about how harshly King Solomon rebukes fools and folly, which is the verb of fool. And so we might very well be judging the Galatians. I mean, I, I did a bit when I was doing research and thinking about it. But you know the Holy Spirit is so wonderful. And he came to me and said, Greg, mm, let's look at you for a second. And I was like, oh, I don't want to Jesus. <laughs> so there might be a lot more we have in common with the Galatians than we want to admit. How do I know this? Because I'm a human being, Right? And you're human beings, and I deal with human beings all the time. I do counseling, and so I'm always talking to human beings and to the human condition. 
And you know something I know for absolutely sure? No matter what we say or what we think, the human heart actually wants to be under law. You're all shocked and horrified. You're going, oh no, Pastor Greg, don't you dare tell me that. Well, I think it's true to varying degrees in all of us. And here's three reasons why I think this is like that. Because first and foremost, grace is hard to understand. It's hard to conceptualize grace. Because nothing in our natural physical world teaches us what grace actually is. From the second we're born, we're constricted, we're boundaried, we're told what is right, what is wrong, what to do, what not to do. And we are repeatedly punished <laughs> when we do something wrong. There's no grace there. Now, parents need to keep you alive, right? <laughs> so, yes, there is a season for that to happen. But because of that, we don't understand God's unmerited favor. We don't understand that, the, that divine influence that is on our hearts to empower us to do what is right. Whereas laws are definable. You can see them. They're very obvious. And from young, we are taught how to act, how to believe, how to behave, how to think in certain ways that keep us rewarded instead of punished. And so that just becomes our, the way we think. And so we come to Jesus Christ and we find freedom, but we're more interested in laws. What we, be, freedom feels way too unboundaried for us. Grace feels a little scary because we're not sure how to keep it. What do I do? What must I do? Well, that's why we love law more than grace. I think the second reason that the human heart wants to live under law is because relationships are incredibly costly. To be in relationship with God, with somebody else, is incredibly costly. It costs us a lot. I have to be present in relationship. I've got to engage continually in relationship. I see some of the married people are like, you got that right, Pastor Greg. <laughs> I have to be self-aware. I've got to explore my own beliefs and understandings and concepts. I've got to accept other people's beliefs and understandings and concepts, and they don't agree with me. And in this world today, if anybody agrees with you, just cancel them, disagrees with you rather. Absolute nonsense. We need to learn how to live in a world that disagrees with us. It's very possible. This is the irony of relationship and, and such a cost, is that I do understand that in relationship, I can't be selfish and have what I want from the relationship. It's a massive contradiction to us, because I just want the relationship to be what I want it to be, and it must give me what I want. But I know <laughs> that being selfish is never going to give me that. <laughs> Very costly. And I think that we would rather have a clear, written-out list of expectations of what we can and cannot do rather than pay the price to be in relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. And God is not interested in that list. He wants your heart. And there is something unique about you, about every single one of, them, of you. There is something specific about you that God loves, and He wants it. But you have to give it to Him. And you can't come through law. There is no relationship in law. In faith, it's all about relationship. And then the third reason I think we, the human heart loves law is because, you know, as I said, I'm a human and we're all humans. 
We love convenience. <laughs> Is there a quicker, shorter way, easier way to do it? We'll do that, right? So we also want the easiest, quickest way to please God. That's what we want. Because we just want to be done with it. <laughs> we want the most basic level of responsibility so we can make sure we fulfill it. And we love ticking boxes so we know we're done and then we don't have to worry about it anymore. We just want convenience. And there's this really tragic scripture in Exodus. <laughs> for me, it's tragic. It might not be for you. And it says, whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at the tent door, at their tent door, at his tent door, and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. So if you remember when Israel was walking in the desert, when they were in the desert for 40 years, they encamped, they made camp. And right at the center of the camp was the tabernacle of Moses. And right in the center of that camp was the Holy of Holies. And the Shekinah glory of God, the manifest presence of God would, would shine in that tabernacle. Now, Moses is called a friend of God. Moses and God are friends. And if you don't believe me, you can go watch. There's three times, and I can't remember exactly the number, maybe one of you can help me, but there are three times where either Moses wants God to kill Israel, <laughs> or God wants to kill Israel, and they have these beautiful friend conversations where they convince each other why they shouldn't. <laughs> if you don't believe me, go and look, they're there. I think twice God wants to kill them and Moses says, let's not. And one time Moses does and God says, no, let, let's not. But that proves the friendship, right? Because <laughs> when you can stop God from killing a nation, you're a friend of God, right? So when God wanted to speak to Moses face to face, and that was that Shekinah glory, the, that manifestation would appear. And it was the flame of fire that shot through the tent all the way to heaven. Now think about it. You are the people of God. God is your God. You are living in supernatural provision. There's, there's this beautiful mist cloud at day that keeps you watered and cool in that hot Negev desert. There's this pillar of fire by night that terrifies your enemies, that lights your way, that keeps you warm in the freezing cold of the desert. Your shoe leather doesn't wear out. Manna and quail just come to your house. You don't even have to go to pick and pay. You just got to go outside your tent and there is your dinner. Three meals a day, sorted. That is supernatural provision, right? Now, imagine who wants to see the manifest presence of God. I do. I've had, I've seen some glory clouds. I've been in worship with the glory, and it's amazing. It's nothing compared to what Israel had. Now, can you see the tragedy of the scripture? Not one of them leave their tent to go and look. Not one of them are interested enough to creep up close. Yes, they would have died if they went in, but nobody... What a way to go, by the way. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Can you see the tragedy of the scripture? Can you see the convenience? <laughs> now, now I'm trying to be serious, and I know you are getting it. <laughs> Okay, all have a laugh about that. Can you see the convenience here? Moses, you go talk to God. We, we, we're not interested. We'll watch from here. It's impressive. If they had Instagram, there would have been so many selfies with the glory of God, but none of them would actually have been there, right? <clears throat> 
And so we do this in many ways. We outsource our relationship with God. And these are not new things. You've heard me say it. But Paul says if it's worth saying, say it again. So here we go. We outsource reading and understanding our Bible by just saying, Pastor Greg, you tell us what it means. Or whoever. Pastor Tiam, just tell us what it means. We don't have time to read that. You know, version is amazing, and it's made the Bible so convenient. But there are little things there that, that lie to us. Now, it's not them that are lying to us. It's us lying to ourselves, right? We forget about the Bible until the daily verse pops up. Then we like it and highlight it, and we think we read the Bible. But most of us didn't even read the verse. We just highlighted it. And I know this is true because if you look at their statistics, verses that are highlighted are billions. But when they had their five-year five anniversary, there were only 300,000 notes made compared to the billions of highlights. What does that tell us about the depth of Bible reading? Just to leave it there. So we like to outsource reading and understanding the Bible. We really like to outsource hearing God to prophets. And we will rather take the opinion of a man than the word of God. We won't sit and study and dig in the word. What is God's heart? What is God's purpose for me? What is he saying to me in this season? So we just outsource it. Goodbye relationship. And you all hate this one, but it's absolutely true. We outsource our freedom to deliverance ministries that are rebuking things out of us that aren't even there in the first place. And nothing's changing in our life. Instead of us just going to God and saying, God, I've got faulty thinking. I've got bad attitude. As I've said to you before, I can cast a demon out of you, but I can't cast you out of you. I, I've tried on myself. No, God will have none of that nonsense. <laughs> he just rebukes and corrects me. That's how we look like the lazy tribe of Israel when we do those things. Jesus wants relationship, and we've got to stop outsourcing. And if you realize you're outsourcing your relationship, well, the... It's easy, like Isaiah said, just return. Just return. Start reading your Bible. Start praying to God for yourself. Start actually listening. And if you're not sure, talk to your connect group leader. Talk to us pastors. Talk to somebody. This is what I think God's saying. Yes, that's in the scripture. That's exactly what he's saying. Yes, go for it. Let's turn back to relationship. I think the real reason that the Galatians were so easily influenced by false teachers to believe a contrary gospel is because they lacked foundation. And Paul actually writes in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10 to 11, and he says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And remember, Paul came right in the beginning and he laid a foundation for the Galatians and he taught them, he discipled them, and he expected them to continue building on that foundation. But somewhere along the line, they stopped taking care how they were building. And when those false teachers came, there was no foundation to stand on. They lost it. 
And this is why Paul curses these teachers so harshly. When Paul says, may they be accursed, um, that's to hell. That means you have no salvation. You have no chance of salvation. That's what curse means. Do you understand why damn and hell are swear words? <laughs> because when you told, you would say something, I damn you to hell. That's the full, you are cursing them. That's why they became swear words, in America especially. <laughs> yeah, in our English South Africa, we use them a lot more freely. But that's where they come from. And so when Paul says this, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Twice in two scriptures. And that's not where he stops. Can you see Paul is angry? <laughs> because the gospel of Jesus Christ is at stake. If these leaders, if these false preachers actually succeed in turning people to believe a different gospel, none of the benefits of the true gospel will manifest in their lives. There will be no grace or peace. Ever. And when we strive and strive and strive and strive and get disappointed in God, it's because we don't understand grace and peace. When we pray for the same thing over and over and over and just feel like God isn't here, where is the grace and peace? And that, did you hear me in the beginning? That's for us. Do we want grace and peace? Then we return. We come back to rest. But if we believe a gospel that says, I have to work for it, I have to be circumcised, I have to be kosher, I have to follow rules and laws, we will never have grace and peace. And this is why Paul says they must be accursed because your eternal salvation is in jeopardy. There's only one way to the Father and that is Jesus Christ and nothing else. Jesus or nothing and here's the issue, because anything that diminishes Jesus is a false doctrine. It, because anything that wants to add something to Jesus is diminishing him, right? He's not enough. There are cults and false doctrines out there that just make him not enough. They just, they diminish him. They don't add anything. They just subtract a whole lot of stuff from him. But then, then we have to make something else our Savior. Because if Jesus isn't our Savior, then how do we get to God? And the most natural thing that then happens is works. And so anything that diminishes Jesus is a false gospel. Anything that tries to add to the work of Jesus is a false gospel. And that's you and I. When the Bible says confess your sins and repent, that's all it wants you to do. We don't crawl upstairs for six months until we're good enough. What are we doing? We're adding to the gospel. We're diminishing Jesus. We're thinking be, feeling bad is not, does not make you holy. Repenting makes you holy. And I'm talking to myself. Because I think feeling bad justifies me somehow. God, look how sad I am. I was so evil. How can you ever take me back? Well, I don't understand, and I never understand, but, he, but I know he's going to take me back. So just go back. Because then you just wasted six months of your life on nonsense that hasn't impressed you, God, or the devil. Yeah, we'll leave it there. 
So we really need to be careful who we are listening to when it comes to the gospel. And we have to be discerning. And I'm telling you right now, like my friend who didn't understand that you're allowed to eat bacon, if you don't read your Bible, you can be led astray. It's as simple as that. So know what the scriptures say. So when somebody comes and says something other than, you can just go, thank you so much. Bye. (laughs) There is no new revelation. There's a song, an old, uh, well, it's not old, but from the 90s, this this Christian pop song, contemporary song. And I used to love it. And it was called The Old Word is the New Word, which sounds confusing, right? Well, the bridge was even more confusing because you just sang like a hundred times. The old word is the new word is the old word is the new word is the old word is the new word is the old word is the new word. What is she saying? The written word of God is relevant for every single space of our lives. And so sometimes I'm in a season and I don't know what to do. Well, the old word is going to become the new word. It's new now because suddenly I'm seeing, oh my word, that's what the word of God says for this season. But then we're people, right? So in 10 minutes, I'm going to forget that. (laughs) But then the old word becomes the new word. But there is no new revelation. The most basic understanding of prophetic interpretation is if it contradicts Scripture, it is not prophetic. So let me help you. The classic story in Pentecostal charismatic churches Pastor, I realized I made a terrible mistake, and I, God just told me I married the wrong woman. <laughs> Show me a scripture in the Bible that says that. There's a whole lot about faithfulness and fidelity and lifelong commitment and vows and promises. And <laughs> there's a whole lot of that. I have never yet had anybody find a scripture that justifies they married the wrong woman. Figure out your problem. <laughs> and get holy. (laughs) But anything that contradicts the written word of God, it doesn't matter if they know your grandmother's phone number, if they are contradict, what does it say there? If, If Paul himself says something different, he is accursed. If an angel comes from heaven in all the drama that that might be, and says something that is not in the Bible, guess where that angel came from? There is no excuse. We get deceived because we want to be deceived. Like the Galatians are like, actually, the whole circumcision thing is a lot less effort than grace. Yes, we'll just do that. Sorted. That's why, right? Things are screaming at me in the front. (laughs) But this is actually a good place to end. So the issue is their their foundation, right? The the Galatians lost their foundation. they, They moved from the foundation they had been taught And that's when trouble happens. So I'm going to ask Zach to come up. He's going to talk to us a little bit about how we can make sure our foundations are true. If you don't know Zach, he's one of the happiest, friendliest people you will ever meet. (laughs) Hello, hello. Good evening. Oh, nice. Um, We, as a church, run a course, a five-week course called Foundations, how appropriate, um, where we really dive into some foundational aspects, not all the aspects of our foundations, mainly just God, repentance, forgiveness, grace, mercy, baptisms, you know, just the little ones. Um, and we run this course, and we've, it's come apparent that a lot of people at the Hub have not had the chance to be a part of this course. Um, and, you know, it, if you read Matthew 7, you get to read about the man who builds his house on the sand versus the man who builds his house on a rock. And one thing we see for sure from that parable is that a storm will come. 
in your life, in my life, in your marriage, in your family relationship, storm will come. In your own relationship with God. But he who builds his house on a rock will make it through. But he who builds on sand will not. Um, and that is not God's responsibility. That's your responsibility. So although we run a course that we want to dive into some of these things, we want to open up discussion, um, it's not your sole and only foundation. Mainly read the Bible, as Greg said. But starting next week, before the year end, we wanted to run the course once through. It's a five-week course. So it'll be every Sunday at 4 o'clock, just before the service. It'll be out in the foyer. You'll get to be with me. Probably Zealous. He doesn't know yet, but he'll be there. Um, <laughs> Um, and we're just going to run through, we're going to start talking about opening up discussions, talk about God, talk about love, work through things, baptism, why do we get baptized in water? You know, that's a, that's a common question I get, and we should know that. Um, and we're going to begin to dive into some of those, we'll then do it again, take it up more next year to go through it. But if you'd like to be a part of that, if you'd like to come sit in, whether you've been in the faith for 20 years, whether you're new, whether you still have questions from the outside, and you're like, eh, I'd like to have a discussion about God. Please come. Just come meet with me afterwards. Give me your number. I'd love to put you on a group, and we're going to organize to have it next week. and be wonderful to have you. Thank you. Um, yeah. So also what I just want to say, maybe you did foundations like 10 years ago. Yes. Come again. Yes. I think you can testify to this. I, one of my favorite things to ever do in this church as a pastor was teach foundations class. Yep. Mm -hmm. Because every time I taught, I learned more. Mm -hmm. have, have you Easily. I've that? probably been a part of one for like... 30 times now, yeah. and every time I'm like, oh, I forgot. A yeah. And the reason for that is because somebody in, there's different people in the group, mm -hmm. right? And then somebody comes with a whole different take on what you, and you're like, oh my word, that's amazing. It lines with scripture, yeah. but it just enriches your whole understanding. So if you have done previously, come and do them again. Please. <laughs> It'll only enhance.